Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Radio and later bflow360.com. This is Fanatic Radio, live and direct. I'm your host, Mike Gardner, and joins me always, the notorious Ben Florence. Bflow, how has your week been in the nation's capital? And of course, our how has your Friday been? Because it has been it's, a while. Uh, my week's been pretty good. We've had kind of a hit and miss so weather-wise. We had some rain yesterday, but uh, uh, the temperatures started to cool. You could see some of the leaves. Uh, starting to brown a little bit. Fall is officially here as of, uh, I believe, Tuesday. So, uh, yeah, season's starting to change. But, of course, nothing changes right here. Exactly. Of course, another thing that uh, the first day of fall brings, as Flo mentioned, uh, cooler temperatures, beautiful scenery of changing leaves, and, of course, the MLB playoffs. Fortunately, one team will not be making the playoffs. However, the New York Yankees did have something to celebrate last night with Derek Jeter, the captain, in his final game. Well, the script is there. The last page is in Derek's hands. Meek deals. Base hit to right field. Here comes Richardson. Here's the throw for Mortakis. Richardson is safe. Derek Jeter ends his final game with a walk-off single. Derek Jeter, where fantasy becomes reality. Did you have any doubt? I try to be calm and collected and cool to you guys before the game. Uh, you know, I, I these last few weeks have been very difficult. It's gotten more and more difficult as we've gotten to today. Um, there's a couple of times I almost lost it. You know, the first inning I was saying, please don't hit it to me. Um, last inning I almost lost it. Same thing. I don't know how many times in my career I've said, Please don't hit it to me, but that was, seemed to be what was going on over and over in my mind because I, 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 um, <clears throat> I really thought I was going to break down. But um, next thing you know, they tied it. So uh, I don't know. I, I, guess I get a tape of the game and watch it. It's sort of an out of body experience, I guess is the best way to put it. You know, this whole year is, is it's been special. At times, it's been difficult. You know, because you almost feel as though you're watching a, your own funeral. You know what I mean? Um, and what I mean by that is, is, is you know, you, you have people telling you great things and they're showing highlights and, and, and you're reflecting. And, you know, I understand that my baseball career is over with. Um, people are giving you well wishes. 
like you're about to die. You know what I mean? It's it's I I don't know if that makes sense. Um, but sometimes um, that's how you. Th- I've appreciated it all, but I you know internally you, you feel as though part of you is is, is dying, and and um, I guess that's true. You know the baseball side because it's over with. Um, but yeah, it's 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 been difficult, and and like I said, if I didn't just got a hit to win the game, then I'm happy I did get a hit to win the game. But uh, if I didn't, I couldn't tell you what what I would be doing right now. The Yankees did go on to win. That was Jeter's final game, and probably his, his final at bat at Yankee Stadium, as he was mobbed after hitting his game-winning single. Of course, unfortunately, they're playing the Orioles, who had already clinched the division, and the and the uh, I believe the Royals and who is the other wild card team? Uh, the Royals and the um, the Athletic at the moment. Yes, since they had already clinched the uh, yes, exactly. So since the Royals had been, and, and Athletics had better records than the Yankees. Unfortunately, this has been only the second game where Derek Jeter has played in which his team uh, has, I believe, it, it's an amazing statistic. It's the only game, he, it's one of the few games he's played where his team has mathematically been out of consideration. But Flo, being a New York Yankees fan, a lover of the Bronx Bombers, and a Jeter fan since when we were born, uh, is it, was it sad to, was it, it was sort of a, a uh, sort of a grand finale or an encore performance that he, because you mentioned that the All Star break of the uh, the ovation he got and the uh, the storied career Jeter has had, but uh-huh. this game it tops all that, doesn't it? Well, it's certainly uh, one of the certainly one of the more memorable moments. I mean, a lot of people thought that uh, manager Joe Girardi was going to pull Jeter after the eighth inning because they were poised to win the game then, and thus Jeter wouldn't get in the final bat. So a lot of people thought in that situation. They would have pulled him. He would have gotten the enormous ovation, but uh, he did. He didn't. Uh, Robertson blew the save, and then uh, Jeter came in. And every, I think every now I didn't watch it live because I was in class. But um, you know, I think everyone realizing that situation, everybody knew that Jeter was going to do something he's always done throughout his career: get a hit a base at the right field. They sent the they sent the runner, uh, the pinch runner. He goes in the score. It's definitely, uh, you know, a career made of so many big moments. It's certainly one that's going to stick with a lot of Yankees fans, a lot of long-time Yankees fans, because people don't realize when Jeter had come in and all those guys, uh, Posada, Andy Pettit, all those guys in 96, uh, Mariano Rivera, uh, they had a one world series. Now, of course, you know, fans of other teams are going to say, well, they only had one world series. They had a one world series since 1978. It's one of the longest gaps in the history of the franchise for a team that, even though they won a bunch of games in the 80s, uh, never won a world series. Early 90s, they weren't very good. So, really, for, and especially for young fans like myself who've been spoiled to watching the Yankees, except for the last past few years, be in uh, such consistent contention, then you had that stretch where they won. The, uh, the three World Series in four years, uh, they went to uh, four and five from 96 to 01. Then they were there in 03, and then they won it again in 2009. But for this moment, it's going to go up there with the uh, the Jeffrey Mayer play in 1996, uh, where the fan reached over uh, Tony Tarasco 
and then uh, the Mr. November home run in the 2001 World Series. But uh, the, for him to go out like that, really, it, it, it seems, you know, you couldn't have scripted it any better, and yet you're surprised that it came to that, but in a way you're also not surprised that it came to that. It's kind of sad. You know, listen to his press conference, courtesy of YesNetworkMLB.com. He was mentioning how the whole season's been sort of sort of depressing for him. He feels like, you know, he's mm-hmm. at his own funeral. And he said, he yep. said, thankfully, he was glad he got that hit because had he not, you know, we would have seen, you know, the waterworks from the captain. But I think uh, of all the players, and Mariano Rivera got a fantastic, you know, swan song his last season. And it was great to see him, Jorge Posada, Joe, Joe Torre there last night at Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's been a player – at least in our generation, because we unfortunately grew up in the steroid era. But there yep. hasn't been a and player in the that post-strike hit. era. Exactly. We haven't seen a player who has gotten this much reception, at least in our lifetime. I mean, we're yeah. seeing, you know, the, the beautifully made uh, Spike Lee commercial for the for uh, Jumpman Jordan brand when he had all the people nodding their caps. That great Gatorade commercial featuring Frank Sinatra, in which Jeter walks to Yankee Stadium. I don't think we've ever uh-huh. seen a baseball player have this much of a sort of a, a poetic reception for his uh, final at-bats than we've seen in Derek mm-hmm. Jeter. Yeah, and uh, I think you made a great point. I thought the point he made that was interesting, and I'm glad he noted on that. He noted how it almost was like a funeral. And because so much of the season, people, nobody's going to remember what Jeter did. I mean, nobody's going to remember that Jeter has had perhaps the worst season of his career. Nobody's going to remember that. The only thing you remember is his final season, and they're going to remember what happened last night. Now, you can make the case, and I know Keith Olbermann made the case, and uh, at some point, which I agree with, and but also ride up a lot of people, as you would expect, saying that it was, why is it him of all players to get this reception because, and also if you're going to be a narcissist, you say, why would he, if he realized he he wasn't going to be the same player, why would he retire before the year? But alas, you know, he has been uh, rightfully or wrongfully the face of baseball for past uh, almost two decades now. And especially of late as the people marvel at the declining ratings and all that, he's, become almost like the soul face. Baseball has struggled to connect and create for younger fans new faces of the game. Like, they're trying to do that with Mike Trout. They want to do it with your uh, good friend, your boy, uh, Clayton Kershaw. But it hasn't resonated yet. But for some reason, Jeter always did. And rightfully and wrongfully, therefore, he was going to get this reception when he announced before the year. This was going to be my final year. So, Again, it, nobody's going to remember. And if Jeter didn't get a hit at all this year, everyone before <laughs> last night, everyone's going to remember that. And it's going to go down when he eventually goes into Cooperstown. It's uh, definitely a, a poignant moment for uh, a man that uh, was the first captain of the team. People don't uh, remember this. There had been a captain of the team in almost 20 years after Thurman Munson died in a plane crash. So it's for a lot of people, a lot of young Yankee fans like myself that really grew up with Jeter and Rivera, Pettit, those guys, Posada, those guys are all gone now. It's an entirely new team, and now for a lot of Yankees fans, it's going to be uh, certainly a changing of the guard. 
you think Oberman went too far with his comments? Well, I think that there's a, to a certain extent he probably oversold it. I mean, when he made the point, he looked at he made the point of the war wins above replacement, and he said that Jeter was either tenth or eleventh. Now, and I don't think he legitimately means that Jared Jeter is a lesser of an all-time player than Willie Randolph, Greg Nails, who were great Yankees, but they were not what Jared Jeter said. But it's also, I think he, and the thing is, I think people are misinterpreting about what Oval thinks. He wasn't going after Jeter. He was going after the media. He was going at, certainly going after younger fans. So when they think of the Yankees, they think of Jeter. And they think him as, now, he's definitely a top 10 Yankee, in my opinion. He's someone at 5 to 7, 5 to 8 range. But I'm sure, and I saw a friend of mine last night. I legitimately saw a friend of mine. Now, of course, he can say whatever he wants. That said, said that Derek Jeter was the greatest baseball player of all time. Is that hyperbolic? <laughs> of course it is. But it, I think it also speaks to the fact that he has been the face of this game for so long now, and especially in a sport which has needed faces. I mean, that's why you look at the All-Star game. The reason why they promoted the hell out of Jeter is because they knew it would draw him. Thus, ratings were up. Why, when the Yankees and the Red Sox are nowhere near playoff contention, it's still, they're still selling Jeter this weekend, tomorrow on Fox, which will be a full national game, and then Sunday on TBS. The national TV games this weekend are featuring two teams that are, didn't really come that close. I mean, the Yankees were eliminated this week, but they never really – came that close to to the wild card. So I think it just it speaks to, I do think, and people also don't realize, Olerman's like a long-time Yankee fan. So I think that, and and uh, I forget the guy, I think it's David Brown of Yahoo, kind of said, uh, wrote a column about Olerman, he cherry-picked some numbers, which I agree with, and he oversold some of his points, which I also agree with, but he's not necessarily wrong. Alas, because uh, Jeter is such a beloved figure, anybody saying anything negative about him, and of course, Olver is not the only one, there was going to be uh, some vitriol headed their way. Yeah, because I think Keith Overman made definitely some educated points in terms of statistics. Obviously, mm-hmm. no MVPs, no golden, you know, no golden gloves, no batting titles. So, well, he, well that, the thing is, he won, he won gold gloves. But when you actually look at the numbers, the numbers uh, about his defense tell an entirely different story. And when you look at defensive wins above replacement, we, uh, defensive win shares, he was actually a pretty feeble defensive player. Now, of course, that doesn't mean he still made some, so many great plays when it was uh, the shovel pass against the A's, 2001 uh, ALDS, uh, whether it was when he drove into the stands against the Red Sox, so many other great plays. But, uh, but you know, he, and he, he did win a handful of gold gloves, but that really was based – and that's the problem with gold gloves is that it's become a reputation award almost as much as a performance award. Sorry to cut you off. No, I was going to say, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, good, it's good that Flo, the Yankee, the resident Yankees fan, knows the details. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be sad. It's going to be sad not seeing Derek Jeter because, as you mentioned, very few faces in the league – and Derek Jeter, for me at least, represents the last great, or last, yeah, last great baseball player of our generation, because you know obviously the Maguires, the Sosas, and the home run race, the Barry Bonds, the steroid users. You had Ken Griffey, 
Chipper Jones, who's no longer in the league, and then Derek Jeter is sort of this last wave of the early people of the early 2000s. Also, five of the 27 championships came when Jeter was there with those dominant Yankees teams, which put the pinstripes on the map, at least in the, as the, one of the best franchises in the 21st century. And 21st century is only, what, 14 years young. So I'm going to miss him. And I think it was just great that he was able to to get his uh, final game in Yankee Stadium. Because first of all, I'm sad that they, uh, that they don't end the season in Yankee Stadium. Nevertheless, uh-huh. I'm happy that, of course, like he said, what – his what his sort of legacy will be remembered. What his legacy will be remembered, and it's a great Tom Verducci article in the, uh, this week's sports or uh, this week's Sports Illustrated, mm-hmm. full multi-page feature, long form about Jeter. Is he was a man that had you know it was great in the, in the public relations eye, you know, was in trouble, but even he didn't even pay attention to his own pr- coverage. You rarely saw him in trouble, and he was one of those guys that. And he told Sports Illustrated earlier this week, he never said that the reason why he retired was that he couldn't play anymore, which I thought was interesting. Because a lot of people are saying, like Alonzo Mourning, I retired because I was you know, injured and I can't go on anymore. Jeter just said, yeah, I'm done. And rightfully so, a 20-year career. But I love the fact that he ended his, his tenure as a Yankee and a professional baseball player of his last game at Yankee Stadium with a hit. with Instead of being, getting pulled like, manager Girardi wanted to do. He ended his career with performance, with something that you actually do, which is the reason why, and we said, just he told Joe Buck at the All-Star game, you know, every day he was sort of fearful of his job, considering how much, how many young talent and how many people the Yankees are just willing to buy out of the drop of a hat. Jeter got a hit, a walk-off single to end his career, uh, you know, his Yankee Stadium career, which I thought was fantastic. And I'm gonna miss them as uh, the playoffs will roll forward. Flo, are you excited for the baseball playoffs? I am. It's, it's interesting that you know. Uh, another thing is that you know, with the whole Jeter uh, thing, it's people have almost forgotten now about that. The fact that there's a couple of pretty heated playoff races for the wild card, in, or at least uh, in both leagues now in the National League, all all teams are set. Is now that will the Pirates catch uh, the Cardinals in the NL Central? Can they force a playoff, a one-game playoff for the division, and then get out of that wild card game? And then the wild card still has to be determined in the American League, while the Royals still have a chance. Uh, the uh, it was the, uh, the the Mariners are still two games out with three games to go, but they still theoretically have a chance if they went out and. Either the A's who looked terrible last month, or the Royals who haven't been spectacular either, uh, you know, potentially fall asleep at the wheel. But there's still playoff races going on. I mean, I'm excited for the playoffs. And but as I mentioned, you know, with all this Jeter stuff, people it's, it's almost like they haven't forgotten. Yeah, exactly. It's not only till it's not. It basically is, you have to wait till actually the first of October for us to finally care about baseball. At least until the last Red Sox game is uh, is complete, which will be on Sunday, sort of a swan song to the regular season on the weekend. The teams in the playoffs, though, no major surprises uh, from last year, except one, and that is our Washington Nationals, who have risen, been like a phoenix rising from the ashes of a woeful <laughs> season, and have returned back to the, not only returning back to the playoffs. 
but back as I think as the best record in the National League. And on the flip side, the best team in the American League comes right up the beltway of the Baltimore Orioles. And we talked about this at the All-Star break over the summer, that these two teams were a threat. And, and, and now it's like, you know, D.C. has just been electrified. The, the, you know, the DMV area has just been electrified with all this good baseball talent. You know, the Nationals okay. actually have a legit chance to make it to the World Series. I think a lot of people could make a legitimate case that for, that the, the Washington Nationals may not just be the team to beat in the the the, uh, the senior circuit. They may very well be the top team in baseball, even though the Angels do have the best record. And they may get if they win out, they may get to a hundred wins. But um, they, uh, but uh, you could make a legitimate case that the Nationals with their their strong pitching. Their their strong bullpen and their their balanced lineup may just be the, the the team to beat in Major League Baseball. So I think that, and you look at it, a uh, a Beltway series, a Parkway series, a Mark series, whatever you want to call it, a Baltimore Washington World Series, it could very well be in the cards, which would be which would be totally wild in these parts. Yeah, of course, there's, been, there's a lot of other uh, sort of dark, not dark horses, but consistent teams in the playoffs, uh, especially in the National League. We have the St. Louis Cardinals, who actually made the World Series last year, and the Los mm-hmm. Angeles Dodgers behind my boy Clayton Kershaw, 21 wins, who has apparently has had one of the best years in pitching and could well, well likely be on his way to a Most Valuable Player award, as well as a Cy Young, much like what we saw from Justin Verlander a few years ago. But for the American League... The Anaheim Angels, they finally have gotten it together. This is a team that spent big bucks, big money on, you know, on re-signing Mike Trout and getting Albert Pujols and Josh Hamilton. And now it seems like they have finally uh, have brought it together because other than the Orioles, is it the is it the sort of the Angels uh, playoff to lose in in terms of power hitting because a lot of playoff games have been uh, been decided on good pitching. Absolutely. I mean, there are, it, it is a cliche, a uh, fair or foul, that uh, you need pitching to win in October. And while that's certainly true, it's not always the case. The Angels have some solid pitchers. Uh, Jared Weaver's always been strong. Uh, Matt Shoemaker has been tremendous. Uh, he he kind of came out of nowhere for the A's. Uh, Garrett Richards has been really good. But when you talk about the A's, as you said, it's a it's a very stacked lineup that which they everyone thought they were going to have a couple of years ago when they brought in Josh Hamilton they brought in Pujols uh, and even Josh Hamilton who hasn't really been a factor this year but you have uh, Pujols having uh, more of a vintage Pujols year although not as much uh, Trout you, you the the thing is with Trout he's going to win AL MVP and he's this is his worst season of his three year career which speaks to how insanely good he's been. But this Los Angeles uh, Angels of Anaheim lineup is totally loaded. And they're a team that you can't get into an offensive game with because nobody, with the exception of Baltimore and maybe Detroit, you really can't get into an offensive ball game with them. You're going to have to try and keep it low, keep the ball low in the strike zone. But uh, this Angels team, it's such a loaded offense and they're going to be a tough team to out come October, especially because they'll have the home field advantage 
playing in and out. Yeah, on the, on the flip side, uh, we mentioned the St. Louis Cardinals are a consistent team that's back in the playoffs, the Dodgers as well. The Detroit Tigers return, and they uh, are a team that sort of struggled earlier, uh, especially midway during the season. A lot of people thought, you know, the Indians, have, they have something, or you know, the Royals, who are currently trying to get into the wild card. But it's um, always consistently these good teams. These teams that, are, that consistently make the playoffs is one thing that, that I champion a lot in baseball. Because we mentioned, uh, you can mention in any other sports league how the Miami Heat have consistently made the playoffs recently, or mm-hmm. the San Antonio Spurs. But in baseball, it's always the Cardinals and the Detroit Lions. That somehow, even with the managerial changes, we saw Tony LaRusso leave, we saw Jim Leland leave, these teams consistently yep. make it back to the playoffs. And they have to be a, a legitimate threat as well. Absolutely. I think you look at baseball, I think that while you can look at a team like the Nationals or the Angels, uh, as a ba- the baseball playoffs are, can get a little, can get a little uh, wild and a little uh, unexpected at times. That's what makes the baseball postseason so great is that, I know, man, of course, it's also a cliche that the right team can get hot at the right time. But there are some, uh, as we saw the Nationals a few years ago, two years ago, when they won that, had that 98 win team, everyone thought they were going to be the team to win that World Series, and they didn't even get out of the NLD yet. So I think, but you look at the Tigers, you look at the Cardinals, both with uh, young former catchers of their managers, uh, you, you look at why they're always there. Now, the Tigers, actually, both teams had kind of slow starts, didn't really take command of the division uh, really at all this year. I mean, the Tigers have been for several years a team that does, that seems that they kind of not go so hard in the, the regular season. The Cardinals, you kind of do, but they started slowly. Milwaukee was really hot. And they totally tanked. And now St. Louis could very well may not even win the, uh, the, NL, uh, the NL Central because Pittsburgh it's been very high kit there. So it's going to be a fun postseason. I think it usually is, and I think we're definitely poised for some surprises of uh, some sort. And, of course, we'll bring you our MLB postseason uh, matchup preview next week when the bracket is finally set because, of course, we still have some wild cards. I will say, though, I think as much as I love our Nationals and think how consistent the St. Louis Cardinals are. I still got to go with the, the Los Angeles Dodgers because they have to play the Cardinals in the NLDS in that first round, which is very difficult because that is most Dodgers fans, especially people in my neighborhood, will know that follow the Dodgers with religious passion considering Clayton Kershaw is pitching. The game six was the game that he was sort of outdueled by the rookie Wackel. In the second matchup those two had, and of course he gave up seven runs in an inning and ultimately costed the team the series. But, but, for for those Dodgers fans, do not do not uh, sleep on this Dodgers team because they first of all they were able to win the division, prying it from the hands of the uh, San Francisco Cardinals, who most likely could be in the playoffs or probably will be in the playoffs as a wild card. But that team last year had Puig for only half a season. So he has yet to experience a full season. This is his first full season he's going into the playoffs. And they did not have Matt Kemp, who, as uh, Dan Schulman said the other night on, uh, I believe it was Thursday Night Baseball, or Wednesday Night Baseball, that Kemp is playing in his best form. So if you have Kemp, Ethier, Puig, 
Clayton Kershaw on the mound. You know, you possibly get Granky to help you out. Josh Beckett if he decides to wake up. This is a very good team that has that has solid pitching. I wouldn't say as much of a deep rotation as they had last year, but solid pitching that could get you those big wins and the bats much needed. And for the American League, I am very disappointed the Yankees aren't in the playoffs. But of course, I have yet to watch. It's funny for Texas Rangers fans that are in the American League. Rangers are on their way to possibly the worst season in baseball. <laughs> behind the Colorado Rockies and the Chicago Cubs, as Ron Washington is gone now. But, ironically, the manager of the Baltimore Orioles is Buck Showalter, who was once the former manager of the Texas Rangers. So it is interesting how a change of scenery is all it takes. That being said, I do think the Baltimore Orioles are probably – one of the best teams in baseball. So it could possibly be a mm. Dodgers-Orioles. Coast to coast World Series. <laughs> that is my early predictions. We will now roll into our uh, critically acclaimed weekly conversation. Charles Marshall, senior, Kingwood High School, who took gold in the 800 meters at the Youth Olympics in Nanjing, China, a few weeks ago. And he joins us now on Fanatic Radio. Miles, first off, congratulations on your gold medal. How did it feel to be crowned the, at the pinnacle of uh, your event in the 800 at the Youth Olympics? Oh, well, thank you, first of all. Um, but it's outstanding. It's a great feeling. Um, you know, I ran a great race. I stuck to the plan that um, I set with my parents. And uh, so I kind of asked for anything better and better at the end of my season. Of course. Uh, during the race, though, uh, you uh, you fell back down to – to third, and then the bell lap, you completely turned on the Jets and ended up winning. Any nerves at all when you uh, lost the lead during that race? No, I mean I was kind of expecting it. Really, part of my plan was um, I wasn't going to fight for the lead, and if um, anyone was going to challenge it for me, uh, challenging it, um, the 200 to go mark, I was going to let him have it. Um, but you know, I made a strong move throughout 250 to go, and paid off pretty well. So I'm glad I was able to stay calm because um, I've had trouble with that in the past. What what were some of the ways you prepared for this? Because for many, it's, and for the listeners as well, it's not easy to to sort of prepare for a gold a medal race, let alone at the uh, the Youth Olympics. Uh, how did you prepare for this event? Um, I trained a lot. I mean, not too much, um, but you know, on my home track with my mom as my coach, did a lot of speed work um, to make sure that I was able to you know be fast. Um, 800 is an odd event and that you need both leg speed and endurance with it. So kind of kind of stretch that out for as long as possible throughout the summer. It was really important. Um, but also like the day of or the day night before, just setting a good plan for the race um, based on, you know, how I think the runners are going to run and uh, just mentally preparing for it as well the day of. Do you ever get inside your runner, your, your uh, competitor's heads? We've seen Usain Bolt do his uh, his trademark pose before every 100 meters. Do you sort of do the same thing to try to win the psychological battle? Um, no. I mean, I'm pretty tall compared to a lot of athletes, so um, I guess that kind of helps. But uh, I don't find myself to be too scary or threatening, so I don't try and act like I am, something I'm not. Um, but if anything, they should uh, be questioning, you know, how I can be so nice and so fast at the same time, so... That used, that's usually what I get after I race. It's like, oh, you're so nice. Well, how? Well, they expecting that from you. It's like, well, okay. So maybe it's not getting the head. It's actually doing the better right now. What's What's your best moment in which that that theory has been uh, has been proven? Um, like a lot of my races, I'll like 
you know, uh, um, people in Texas, you know, we know, you know, across the state will see each other run, and we won't race each other into the state meet. And soon I'll be sitting there stretching. Someone coming, are you Miles? Because you look like him, but uh, you don't look as mean as I would think him to be. And I guess 800 meter runners, especially, um, you know, who are really fast, especially these big, you know, stocky guys that you know can like break your hand when they shake your hand. You know, I. But I'm a pretty nice guy. Um, you know, most people say they don't know I ran track until until they ask. So. Now the 800 is one of the, I think one of the most difficult events in track and field because it's it's a sprint but it's also endurance. Do you approach it in sort of both ways or do you favor one saying oh I can outpace them as opposed to getting a big lead? I guess it depends who's in the race. Um, like I said, back to that mental planning. Uh, but I do think I, I do think I'm really good at both um, aspects of it. I just personally, um, I think that's a good quality I have. That you know a lot of 800 runners, the best ones really do, and. Um, so kind of, and it's it's speed, yes, and endurance, and especially you know speed while you're tired as well. And you know a lot of people, even me in the race, is just, oh, I just want to stop. You know, especially like 350 to go, 300 to go. You're like, this feels awful. Your legs are heavy. Um, you know, you're running, you ran through way too fast. So you feel, you just feel dead tired. But then you gotta you know pick it up, and um, you gotta kind of put those thoughts aside. So you know, half of it's mental, really. And of course, you're uh, you're looking for uh, I guess spring semester looking to repeat as the Texas 5A champion. 5A, um, of course, being from Dallas, and growing up in the state, you understand how big the state is, how many people you're competing against, also the uh, right. the number of schools. So, how do you stay on top for uh, for for this year's upcoming track season? Um, just use the races I have. I mean, I don't really run for time. I just run for place. Um, times I find come when you run you know, to win and whatnot. So, um, you know, just hopefully, you know, stay healthy, um, run your races throughout the season with the coach asks you to run, and uh, hopefully be ready at the state meet. What keeps you going? What's, what's, uh, what sort of drives you to keep being uh, someone who's always willing to, to work out and get better? Oh, I just find it fun. I mean, just racing. Um, I mean, it helps that I'm not, you know, completely – bad, but even if I wasn't as good as I was, I would still love the sport. I love watching it. I love going to meets. I love um, watching other people compete. I love all the races. Um, just, you know, the, even if I wasn't running, I'd be still around the sport somehow. So I think that just really, you know, promotes things and makes me happy to go out every day and not, you know, and run. Uh, does it also help that, you, uh, well, I have to mention, you are the uh, the son of 1984 Olympian John Marshall and four-time Olympic trials finalist Debbie Grant. Is it help that your parents are uh, are famous in the track and the running world as well? Um, yes, uh, they kind of work together and help coach me over the summer um, when my high school coach, you know, obviously isn't available. Um, so they have a lot of experience, and I'm really glad to have these two great, you know, American, you know, middle distance runners uh, just be on my side, I guess, because um, you know, they have a lot of advice, a lot of you know, stories they can tell, just a lot of good information. What's the best story that they've told you? The best story? Wow. Um, depends. It's my mom or my dad. I guess for both. If you had to pick uh, your, your favorite. Um, probably my favorite story. One second. Sorry. Uh, probably my favorite story is my one my dad had told me um, when he was younger and he was going for his, his first date meet. You know, it was him, kind of an underdog against this guy. That was committed to Georgetown, I think. 
And, you know, my dad's just a little scrawny kid just coming in here not really knowing what he's doing. And he goes out there and runs it next to him. He's duping it out until the finish. And, um, you know, he won at the sophomore, which is great. I mean, it sounds a lot more exciting when he tells it. So. <laughs> of course, being a senior in high school, uh, the big question is uh, picking a, the right program to go to college for. And mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of them. Of course, we've we've seen in in Texas, Texas A&M has had a solid track program. Of course, there's the famous Oregon. Have you decided of uh, where you're going to go to school? Uh, no, I have not. I've um, only taken one visit as of right now, um, but I have a visit set up within the next two weeks. Um, so hopefully that'll help. Hopefully that will help. You know, the decision process. But I am planning on signing in November. All right, he's Miles Marshall. A 800 gold medalist in the Youth Olympics here on Fanatic Radio. Have you been? Have anyone um, from the track world reached out to you after you won that gold medal? Oh yes. Um, I mean, no, no, no notable people, but um, definitely even before, um, you know, athletes will just say, well, you know, find me on Twitter, or Facebook, or something, congratulate me, and ask um, just for advice and um, whatever they can just get, um, which I appreciate. I mean, it means a lot for them to reach out to me. And um, I tell them what I can. I love the quote that you said earlier about how you you run for uh, for place, not for time. Because a lot of these a lot of runners, especially distance runners, are very focused on getting um, personal bests and trying to right. and trying to break records. Uh, what other sort of words of wisdom do you could you give to uh, to inspiring runners? Um, just to have fun and enjoy it, because um, you know it's really hard to run at a high level for long periods of time. And so you're going to have to start running eventually and just just have fun while you still can. I mean, it's, I know it's hard, it seems horrible now, especially in mobile workouts, but appreciate the talent you have that um, a lot of people would die to be at your level for. So that's all. I've, uh, I went to college with, a, with a, one of my, my roommate who was on the cross-country team. He said it's, it's like a good sickness, the fact that once you start running and competing, it's all you ever want to do. Have you ever considered doing any other events uh, more like the 1500 or less being the 400? Um, well, I've run the 400 quite a bit as well during the season. I'm on the team's 4x4, and we actually once did as well last year. But, um, you know, I used to triple jump up until freshman year. I, I was I was, I was all right, but I was, I was just better at the 800. I didn't want to risk getting an injury. Um, but I'm definitely more of a 400, 800 runner. You know, even a few times a year I run a 200, and I just find that fun. Just It's great. Right, and of course, uh, we'll get you out of here on this, Miles. Is uh, anything we can look out for you uh, in terms of upcoming meets that you'll be uh, competing in? Um, I don't know how my next season's going to look like. Um, I mean, you can look at me. You can look for me on the regular Kingwood Track and Field, you know, schedule. Uh, I know I'll be running in that, but as far as the summer goes, I'm not sh- quite sure yet. But we'll be looking forward to it. Also, uh, best of luck for you uh, in choosing the college. Because uh, he's mentioned that in November, he's Miles Marshall, senior at Kingwood High. He won the gold medal in the 800 meters at the Youth Olympics in China just a couple of weeks ago, and joins us here on Fanatic Radio. You're welcome to come back on the show anytime, and thanks for stopping by. Thank you. Fanatic Radio. Get ready to break the pain! <laughs> the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's cars. Fanatic Radio on Blog Talk Radio. 
spreading the news I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New York These vagabond shoes Are longing to stray Right through the very heart of it New York, New York I want to wake up In a city that doesn't sleep And find I'm king of the hill Top of the heap These little town blues are melting away I'll make a brand new start of it in old New York if I can Because uh, our 
history, uh, sports history lesson of the day dates back 20 years to something that's kind of near and dear to my personal heart. One more, six seconds. I think he just went over and said, just throw it up. The last pass complete to Michael So who we got here now? We've got the Ruth that can fly. you got Westbrook, who's leaper and big and strong and can run. I would think that James Kidd would be on the field as well. Probably Blake Anderson. He's made, uh, he's a tough guy. Six four. If I were the defense, I'd have a few more guys over there. Three wide off at the top of the picture. Stewart with time. Let's it go. He's got three people down there. The ball's up in the air. Caught. Touchdown. Caught by Westbrook for a touchdown. Incredible. There is no time remaining. There are no flags on the field. Only despair for the maize and blues. Joy and exultation for the Buffaloes of Colorado. That's right, fans. And listeners across the country, 20 years ago on Thursday was the infamous Miracle at Michigan in which the University of Colorado defeated the Michigan Wolverines in the big house. Cordell Stewart hooked it to the end zone and what I guess many have said has been one of the greatest Hail Marys of all time, ranking it up there with Doug Flutie of the like. Also, with that, I do want to give a shout-out to... Any of my relatives that attend the University of Colorado, aunts, uncles, cousins alike, I actually was accepted to the University of Colorado but chose to go to American University, so I'm sorry about that. But huh. it, is a, it was a happy moment to sort of relive that, especially for my mom who uh, went to CU. Uh, her, her and my dad were actually at that game. I was two years old, Flo, two years old, staying at my aunt's oh. house. My mom and dad were in the nosebleeds of the big house. And it's funny listening to the stories that my dad has told of that game. The fact that there's Michigan fans being like, well, our season's over. And the funny thing about it is both those teams were ranked. Michigan was four. Colorado was number seven, coached by Bill McCarthy. And that was uh, 1994, so Cordell Stewart was on that team. It was sort of the next generation of players after that national championship team in 1990. But that Colorado team had Rashawn Salam, who won the Heisman Trophy. And this is where it gets to sort of the sad part about it is not until Gary Barnett took over and they went to the Fiesta Bowl in 2001, I guess 2002 is a New Year's Day. But that Colorado team has not been back to a BCS Bowl, or I guess a major New Year's Day Bowl game since, which is sad considering how the program has been trashed, but now it's on and it moved from the Big 12, which is what it was in, and now all of a sudden there has been a... a, a, a Glimmer of hope, as uh, as I guess Mike McIntyre, who is their new head coach Mm -hmm. from San Diego State, or San Jose State, excuse me, uh, is trying to sort of bring back the uh, the recruits. But it's interesting. A lot of famous people on that Colorado team, Flo. That was a team with Cordell Stewart, as we know, played with the Pittsburgh Steelers for many number of years and also graced the cover of NFL Blitz, a a video game by Midway. Um, Michael Westbrook played a couple of years in the NFL. Also, Ray Carew, who uh, had some years in the NFL and is also uh, uh, serving time until 2018. So there you go, history lesson. 20 years ago on Thursday, 
Colorado defeated the Michigan Wolverines. And of course, it was lovely set on PTI, quote by Tony Kornheiser. So that is the last, as the last time, with the exception of Appalachian State, where beating Michigan in the Big House was a big deal. Because now, where are they now? No one knows. Because flow, the college landscape has just been dramatically changed since then. That's right. And speaking of college football, last week, crazy games happened. You know, Oklahoma went into Morgantown and with those hideous jerseys, but managed <laughs> to win behind um, Trevor Knight and the Belldozer with a, a strong run game, defeating a very packed West Virginia team that, and a very packed house, according to Gus Johnson, that uh, was a team that wanted to upset. But, of course, another big interesting game was the overtime game between number one Florida State and Clemson, who, if you go back to the archives of Fanatic Radio on blogtalkradio.com slash Fanatic Radio, the podcast on iTunes, or dig it, or dig through the uh, the many stories on bflow360.com. We had many high hopes that Florida State could run the table and possibly win the national championship, or at least get to the college football playoffs. Last Saturday, though, Flo, not only did it seem like they were just a couple of field goals and a fumble away from losing the perfect season, but they didn't even have Jameis Winston. What did you make of all that? Because not let alone, and we'll get to a, we'll get to the uh, the audio of him at, of of his press conference after the Clemson game in the, this past week. But what do you make of all the Jameis Winston controversy about this kid? Essentially, he is a kid, not even twenty one yet, just acting a fool. Yeah, he's de- he's definitely got a, a significant amount of issues. Of course, now it looks kind of ridiculous. Now they say that they ultimately suspended him for the full game after only suspended for half for his uh, that little outburst, which was hilarious when I told my mom what I said, and I literally just directly said I didn't even, I didn't miss anything, and that was really comical. But and then they suspended him for a half, which I think wasn't as much for what he said, but was more for, okay, you got to be better about it. You've had your number of issues. You had the rape, uh, the rape allegations, which haven't really gone away. You had the, the, the comical, uh, 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 Publix, uh, stealing the, uh, the crab fish, that episode. So, I mean, he really shouldn't be the guy going on the, at the student union or wherever he was, uh, chanting, or not chanting, yelling something that was uh, from a meme, YouTube video. He, of all people, should know better than that. So, and then, but then also, I think that part of the, the suspension was not just for him, you know, swearing on campus, because Lord knows I would I would have been kicked out of school by now. But I think that, and then they ultimately realized, yeah, we look bad, so they're going to say that he lied about it, which he, he may have, I don't know and suspend them for the whole game. But the, the whole thing, just they, they've treated, uh, like, with uh, Jameis Winston, with the media, like, they've given him with such baby gloves. And they need to realize that he has some issues now, stayed in trouble. Manziel may have uh, pay, uh, been paying for some autographs, but a lot of the stuff he did, he was just being a clown on the field. Cam Newton had the issues with the stolen laptops. But ultimately, the stuff with him was off-field and didn't really involve him. Now, Winston is thoroughly surrounded by this. And Florida State has not looked like a national championship team thus far this year. I mean, that's just obvious. So, if he doesn't, like, start 
realizing uh, how bet to better act, Florida State could be in some issues, and if he continues to get in trouble, eventually the school is basically going to be forced, almost by public pressure, to take a harsher stand. I'm not a me person, but in that situation, that was a selfish act. I really want to apologize to my teammates because uh, I have now made a made a selfish selfish act for them. I, I messed up, you know, and uh, I gotta accept the fact that I did that. You know, and like I said, it eats me, it eats, it eats me alive, man, that I, that I did something like that. I can't carry myself that way. I have to tone it down. I have to. So he goes on the record and he says it to the press that he uh, feels sorry. And, of course, now he's slapped with, uh, with, with the allegations reoccurring from the, uh, the sexual assault case that occurred last year. We talked about it on the radio show. And so now he has had so much, so much, I guess, stuff, and it, and it goes even deeper than than the crab legs and and the meme chant on the student union table. You know, it goes as far as him coming out on the field, warming up in pads, and Jimbo Fisher's like, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! You can't do oh, that." That was just so absurd. Exactly, because you know, it's it's it, and so I mean ama- I think now it'd be amazing if Florida State goes undefeated because because I I said on I said on Fanatic Radio College Football Preview that Alabama's going to win the national championship and the way they played against Florida just beating them like a cheap drum That's right absolutely they're doing they're doing fantastic this year that being said college football games uh, they Florida State plays North Carolina State so I don't think they should have too much trouble but a lot of people are circling that Louisville game. And is that could that possibly be the game that Florida State drops? Well, it's the problem with Florida State is that you look at their schedule. It, considering the ACC is once again awful, their toughest opponent was going to be Clemson, and they had them. Uh, they they just had them at home, and without Winston, they were able to survive. Do you look at their schedule the rest of the way? Because the ACC just isn't very good. Perhaps now there could be some trap games, and I'm going to give you a trap game right now. The biggest game remaining is probably going to be against Notre Dame and October 18th at home. The week before, they're going to have to go to Syracuse. Now, Syracuse isn't very good, but as we all do know, the Carrier Dome is a tough place to play. So if Florida State isn't careful, that could be a game where Florida State can struggle. Even then, and even with the Notre Dame, I still think Florida State's going to win out and probably beat uh, whomever in the ACC championship game and get to the playoffs. But it just doesn't look like a team that when they take on a playoff team, be no matter who it may be, that could be that could be an issue. I mean, this is a team that they barely got by Clemson. Clemson did have to fall apart for them to secure the win. Oklahoma State, I think, is a little better than people thought they would be, but they still Oklahoma State could have won that game. Yep. So Florida State, I mean, they have to play better, and or if they continue to play like they have, they're not going to repeat. Yeah, of course, fans, uh, to follow BFL's predictions, you can actually watch both those teams that Flo and I are talking about this weekend in action on national television. Florida State, North Carolina State, that's a 3.30 game on ABC and ESPN2. And, of course, later, uh, primetime, 
number eight Notre Dame takes on Syracuse in the Carrier Dome. So that'll be a chance to see just how difficult that Carrier Dome is. Any other notable college football games? Arkansas, Texas A&M might be interesting. I don't think so. I'm just being sympathetic. <laughs> but this Notre Dame team as good as they are ranked. Eight in the country and a team that kicked off uh, some good players at the beginning of the season after the uh, the whole uh, academic scandal at the beginning of the year. Well, it's uh, I mean Notre Dame. Uh, Brian Brian Kelly deserves the credit for after the mess that was uh, the Charlie the end of the Charlie Weiss inning. He's rebuilt Notre Dame to be a just a very good football team. Notre Dame is not Notre Dame where it used to be. It just it still has a cachet that makes it a bit makes Notre Dame a big deal. There's still a reason why NBC is willing to pay them for their home game. But Notre Dame is not able to recruit as much nationally as they would have under Lou Holtz and under the coaches prior to them. So, But he's made them a legitimate contender, and if they keep on winning, they're going to be in the mix again for the college football playoff. This is it's a very good team. Uh, you see definitely a new edge once they got um, the, uh, the quarterback. Uh, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, their quarterback back. Oh, Golson. Uh, Golson, once they got him back, and he's been tremendous. So you look at his Notre Dame club. I, I wouldn't even be surprised if they went into Tallahassee and beat Florida State. This is a very, very solid Notre Dame club that Brian Kelly has got them coaching well. They play good defense. They can make big plays offensively, which is Curley's credo. And it's it's a it's a legitimately solid Notre Dame club. Yep, and once again, that game is Saturday night. So that'll do it for college football picks. Uh, as we go ahead with now with our second interview, uh, I have a man who uh, is competing in probably the most unlikely sport that you could imagine. Okay, he's Gabriel Wittosh, a rising freshman at the University of Georgia who shocked the world and won gold at the World Youth Championships in Poland for the almost unlikely sport fly fishing. He joins us now on Fanatic Radio. Gabriel, thanks again for taking the time to join us. First off, how in the world does someone get into competitive fly fishing? This is a pretty cool honor. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Uh, So basically, uh, the way I got into it is I've been fishing my whole life and uh, learned about the competitive side of fly fishing a couple of years ago through a uh, meetup of an online forum of fly fishermen in the state of Georgia. And uh, after I met up with the uh, my regional team, Team Deadrift, it kind of took off from there, leading to uh, trying out and eventually competing for the U.S. youth team. What about the World Youth Championship? How did you get involved with that? Uh, so that's kind of the premier tournament for the U.S. youth team uh, and the adult team as well, except they have just a separate level. Uh, there's a couple international, uh, well, a couple regional, I should say, tournaments, then the national championship, and then... Uh, those who qualify at the highest level on the youth team uh, are selected to go overseas to compete in the world championships. And that happens every year. Uh, companies put in a, I mean, uh, countries put in a bid to host it, and it's actually going to be in the U.S. next year. So um, how cool is it representing your country for something that you love to do? A lot of Olympic athletes are asked this question, but for you in fly fishing, how cool is that? 
Uh, it's pretty cool, you know. It's uh, it's a unique opportunity. It's kind of like you're saying with the Olympics. It's, it's just being on that stage, a world stage, and being able to bring home gold for your country. That's about as good as you could ask for. And uh, the youth team's done it for uh, three out of the past four world championships, and we've taken home two individual golds as well. So it's pretty. Uh, it's a pretty cool experience being able to represent the country on such a large scale. Were you surprised how many nations represented? Do you guys beat? host nation Poland, but were you surprised at how much the world is involved in the sport? Yeah, uh, these past couple of years when we've competed, there's been a good showing uh, of between uh, 8 and 11 or 8 and 10 teams, and uh, it's kind of a unique sport to uh, compete with on a global level. We have people from uh, South Africa, from all over Europe. Uh, for the adults, they have people from Mongolia, from Spain, everywhere. Uh, so it's kind of a cool a uh, cool opportunity to me- uh, meet people from a bunch of different cultures and different countries and be able to compete alongside them in the uh, championship. Are there certain different techniques uh, that you've seen uh, in terms of, of fly fishing across the world from competing in those tournaments, or is it pretty much all relatively the same? Uh, that's where a lot of the different techniques come from. It's just different nations. Uh, they have certain fishing styles, so they adapt their own fishing to meet those styles. So you have types of uh, nymph fishing, which uh, we call like Czech nymphing, French nymphing, Spanish nymphing. So those are all kind of just slight variations on the main tactics we use that are better for certain situations. So uh, being able to meet up and compete with these individuals from places like uh, the Czech Republic and Spain is uh, is unique because you get to see actual residents of that country use their techniques. Uh, so you can kind of get a better understanding of how they fish with their uh, there are different techniques that they've uh, come up with that are specialized for their fishing. He's Gabriel Wittosh, world youth champion, gold medalist at the uh, World Youth Championships for Fly Fishing, joining us here on Fanatic Radio. Uh, what's your special technique? What's your go-to or your trade? Do you have a trademark? Uh, my go-to is uh, it's called long line nymphing with an extremely light setup. Uh, it allows you to cast longer distance, lighter flies, and... Uh, it gives you an edge over some people who don't have the um, <clears throat> the means to fish those smaller patterns. Uh, for instance, in Poland, one of the venues, the fish were feeding on pretty small bugs. So being able to fish far away from the fish that were pressured with that light setup uh, gave me an advantage over many of the people who had to get closer to the spooky fish. How much preparation goes into an event like this? Because... For the, for the common person, fishing is just, you know, getting bait, bringing a pole, and going out to the water. But it seemed like, yeah, to, for a world championship, nonetheless, you have to do a lot of, a lot of homework to do this. Yeah, uh, for the world in particular, it's it's uh, quite an ordeal getting ready. Uh, it, it basically starts a couple months before. Um, past few years, uh, myself and a, a fellow competitor on the team, Hunter Hostler, have pre-fished the venues. So uh, this year, two months before the competition, we went to Poland to practice. And uh, we have a general idea of what we need to do before we go to practice. But after we actually go and visit the venues where we'll be fishing, we have hard intel on what we need to be fishing, what flies we need to tie. And uh, from there on, it's pretty much bearing down and getting everything we need since we have a better idea of specifically what flies, what gear we need to bring. Uh, so it. it for smaller competitions, it might be uh, only a week or so. For uh, medium ones, you know, anywhere from a week to a month. But 
for the world, it's it's usually about three solid months of preparation with even more uh, talk of what we're going to be thinking of using uh, for half a year beforehand. It's really amazing considering how much preparation goes into it. Uh, You caught 59 trout and grayling, and your longest fish in the World Championship was 18.1 inches. What has been the biggest fish you've ever caught in your life? Uh, I've caught some pretty big sharks in Florida. Uh, The biggest biggest one was probably about 130 pounds or so. Nothing huge, but uh, pretty pretty large. Uh, As far as trout go, the largest trout I've caught was a 28-inch rainbow, and uh, for as, as far as trout go, it's hard to get them a lot bigger than that. We have some great trophy streams in, uh, in the state uh, that give some unique opportunities for fish that size. So uh, as far as trout go, you don't see too many over 30 inches. But uh, over in Poland, the average fish size was probably 12 to 14 inches. And in one of the venues, we did experience some of the larger 16 to 18-inch browns and uh, grayling. What's your dream the fishing ground? What's the one place in the world that you've always wanted to go to a fish? Uh, that would definitely be New Zealand. It's 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 got this well-known aspect of dry fly fishing there where basically you go there in the summers and you throw large foam hopper patterns at these giant wild brown trout. And this is kind of a place where 20 to 24-inch fish are the norm. Uh, and chasing those on a dry fly is kind of the epitome of trout fishing, and uh, so that's kind of my dream to go there and target those larger fish. And we'll get you out of here on this, Gabriel. Uh, what are some of the big events that we can look out for you coming forward? Because being in college, uh, do you find any sort of free time to uh, to continue your passion? Uh, yeah, I have, I have some free time to continue fishing. I haven't been competing as regularly since I started college. Um, a couple of tournaments I'm considering mm-hmm. part in are the uh, Trout Legend Championship, which is a uh, Trout Lunch is, is the uh, league, the fly fishing league uh, that uh, most people who compete take part in in the U.S. Uh, so we have a championships for that later in November. Uh, and other than that, just some smaller local tournaments where uh, I can find some that fit into my schedule. All right, we'll be looking forward to following you then. He's Gabriel Witosh. She is the gold medalist, the world youth fly fishing champion in Poland a couple of weeks ago and uh, a freshman at Georgia trying to balance, trying to do the tough thing of balancing school and his love of fishing joined us here on Fanatic Radio. Gabriel, thanks again for taking the time to do this. Thanks, Michael. Have fun. And, of course, you can listen to both those interviews of Gabe Tusk and Miles Marshall on the podcast on iTunes, people360.com and blogtalkradio.com slash fanaticradio. As we'll close the show with some NASCAR, the chase heads to Dover, where if you haven't been paying attention to BeFlow360.com, you should probably take that out, especially Flo's chase predictions, as you, my friend, are just a pick away from getting the, I guess, the Challenger Series uh, complete 100%. With That's right. You have, Flo had both Penske drivers winning, and just so happens that both Penske drivers won the race. And now Flo has Jimmy Johnson winning at Dover, it's uh, we have Kevin Harvick on the pole, who I think you know. I said earlier in the year that he could be a dark horse to win the championship, and he has yet to win. And of course, the last time he won was indeed Darlington. But Happy Harvick has been right up there with two top threes in the, both chase races so far. 
That's right. And, you know, you look at Harvick, he always is a guy that, and they they would call they call him the closer. He seems to be a guy that if he's having a strong race, he knows what to do to get himself in position to win at the end. And you look at you know he's definitely he's uh, barring something drastic. He's going to sail until the next round. And the chase has a number of tracks because Harvick is a driver that has shown. He can win at a, a bunch of variety of tracks. And while the chase is still, you know, boringly, uh, you know, dominated by the intermediate mile and a half tracks, there still is some variety. You have a Phoenix. You have a Homestead. So Harvin is definitely going to be a guy in his first year for Stuart Haas and what's been a kind of disappointing year for them. Danica Patrick has taken the first to step back. Uh, Tony Stewart, uh, even before this whole, uh, this whole, the whole situation at the dirt track, he had been having a disappointing year. And while Kurt Busch is in the chase, and he is, uh, he won early in the year, he had been as inconsistent, and he by no means is guaranteed to move on. In fact, at this point, if the chase, uh, the next round starts today, he would be, uh, he'd be out. He's, eight points behind Ryan Newman to get banned. So, uh, but Harvick is definitely going to be a guy in the mix. Seemingly always is. Yeah, of course, the four drivers to uh, to look out for to see if they can sort of fight their way uh, to advance to the next round. Eric Amarola, 16th, Kurt Busch, 15th, Greg Biffle, and Danny Hamlin, one of Flo's dark horses to possibly win the chase, had uh, some issues at New Hampshire a lot of drivers had issues at New Hampshire, and surprisingly, many came out unscathed, or if not that, a couple of heavy hits in the points. But, Flo, are you surprised how dominant the Penske cars have been thus far? Two wins, two drivers through? Honestly, I'm not. And because they have been so, they've been so strong this year, and particularly of late, when Keselowski won those races a row, and, and Logano's won recently. As well, this is an organization that is really in their groove right now. And you look at two very talented guys. They work well together. They work well with their crew chiefs. And they're getting, they have very good equipment as well. So I'm honestly not that surprised. The reason why I picked them when they're hot, they're both hot right now with how well they've raced of late. They're both guys that could, that have also went at a variety of tracks. And they have the equipment to do it. So, honestly, I'm not all that surprised. And, of course, uh, full pick Jimmy Johnson to win at Dover, a likely pick as someone who has dominated the Dover track, uh, the concrete uh-huh. mile, over the course of the year. This is also a track that heavily favors uh, the, most, the unlikely to win, which is where guys that are desperately dancing close to that uh, 12 mark, uh, of course, Ryan Newman, Casey Kane, A.J. Allmendinger, those are all the people just above number 13, which is the cutoff. But this is also a very interesting track for drivers like Dale Jr., Jeff Gordon, and Matt Kenseth, who are in that mid-pack, who are just one bad mm-hmm. finish away from getting eliminated, uh, thus the way this point series is uh, stacked with the new chase. But one guy I do want to give a shout-out through two races, and he could possibly make it three this weekend, is Kyle Larson. Yeah, probably for me, the unanimous rookie of the year, winner from the way he has performed this year the fact that he barely misses the chase and then his first two races chicagoland and new hampshire 
he goes out and almost wins both of them. And, and this guy is just, which makes you think, if he was in the chase, you know, he'd be way up there in, like, the top five. So shout-out to Kyle Larson. And, of course, uh, shout-out to Tony Stewart, who uh, officially publicly came out and said that the uh, the incident back in August was a 100% accident. And Flo, ironically enough, uh, is it interesting? Did you find it interesting that Kevin Ward had uh, traces of uh, marijuana in his system? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, nobody really knew about that, and it was weird that there were some bits of information, and that they also had more enhanced video of the incident, and they like apparently analyzed where Stewart had turned, and apparently he hadn't turned after he had uh, hit Ward. It's interesting that they had this information and never went public. I don't know why it did it. I'm not saying it's against protocol, but it just seemed odd that in these days there was some information that we didn't know. I mean, uh, there really was no way for anybody to know, I guess, that Ward had marijuana system. And if it's the police department's decision that, or their call that he had enough in his system to impair his judgment, I mean, it it doesn't entirely excuse Stewart. I believe Stewart when he says he didn't mean to hit him. I don't think he means to hit him. I, 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 I legitimately don't. But I just think the, the whole thing was just so, it was so, and especially when you watch a video, it was so shocking to watch. And that, but the whole thing, I guess, that was a key factor that he had, you know, he was affected enough by the amount of marijuana in the system, we didn't know how much he had in the system, that they determined that uh, it was, uh, they could not charge uh, Stewart. uh, And I kind of expected them. I didn't really think that they could prove that there was intent. Now, there could still very well be civil charges, wrongful death, I think those who come in, as you saw the word family, still add, you know, they came out and they said basically what they had said before about Stewart. So, but I think now there's, oh, there, it may not be kosher for the Ward family, but they're in the, of course, that's the one we should care about. But I guess now for Tony Stewart, he's going to have to live with this and he's been open that he will have to live with it. But now almost it's, kind of for him he can move on and then focus on ending this season uh, well and then possibly going out and having a strong season next year. Whether he can or cannot, he hasn't ran great. He hasn't ran great this year of playing, particularly in the week after he's won the race that he has run. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Stewart going forward in his career. He's no spring chicken, and he hasn't been that competitive since he won that last title a few years ago. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what uh, develops the smoke on board. Exactly. Of course, that race is this Sunday afternoon on ESPN. Dover, Monster Mile, final round of the Challenger Series. Challenger round before 12 drivers advance for the remaining, I believe, seven races, which just continually makes the NASCAR season a complete fiasco. Oh, you are living la vida loca. Well, before we end the show, any other uh, interesting stories that we want to comment on? LeBron James, Cleveland Media Day, or the NFL going to London this weekend, or the fact that yep. the NFL did have the tapes of Ray Rice ASAP mm-hmm. or as soon as possible? 
You know, it's interesting you brought up, and I was listening to my buddy's uh, radio show on KCOU in Missouri, that nobody even is even thinking about London right now because, hey, there are a couple more games, and it's such a dreadful matchup between the Dolphins and Raiders. But the story I want to uh, make uh, note of, and it's caught some fire of late, is Bill Simmons being suspended three weeks, a rebel yard suspension for what uh, suspensions in the past have been, for at ESPN, suspended three weeks for his rant about Roger Goodell and how he basically dared his ESPN bosses to find him. Now people, it's or people are speculating is this going to lead to some leaving uh, ESPN somewhere down the line? It's a very interesting story of how a behemoth like ESPN and one of their top personalities, who in a, a lesser known personality may not have kept his job had he made John and Simmons made this since it's so big in the ESPN world. Seeing how these two clash is that's something that's going to be very interesting for those uh, interested in sports media like you and I to watch. Yeah, exactly. Considering that ESPN has had uh, a, many, many mighty issues uh, and has made sort of no big suspensions like this whatsoever. I mean, it's going as far as our boys, as, uh, as Stephen A. Smith, who is the little voice in Richard Sherman and Clinton Dempsey's stomach, and Dan Levitard for putting a billboard in Cleveland. That's right. <laughs> That's right. LeBron, for lack of a better word, is back. Yeah, it's, uh, it. interesting. NBA TV uh, had showed the press conference, and a mm-hmm. uh, great question asked by American University's own David Aldridge. He yeah, asked, yeah. you know, what is he what is he going to say about uh, to his kids about this whole situation? And LeBron actually gave them credit, uh, you know, basically giving sort of you know the childish the, the child giving and saying that oh we can go back to Cleveland, our home with our old friends. LeBron's like, all right, we'll go back to Cleveland. So it made it a lot of <laughs> made it a lot easier for uh, the King of Akron. Of course, that'll do it yeah. for this uh, this week's episode of Fanatic Radio. Uh, Get to watch some uh, some football this weekend and some wild card uh, shenanigans uh, to watch the uh, the woeful defeat of the Redskins on Thursday Night Football and the uh, the downfall of Kirk Cousins, who threw more picks than he could shake a stick at, meaning that the Redskins now have to dig deeper to the Colt McCoy Brigade, as both because Cousins is too bad to play and RG3 is just hurt to play. I uh, also want to give Cousins, though, a shout-out because he threw a Hail Mary of the uh, ESPN's top ten best Hail Marys of the uh, the past few decades, and which his against right. Wisconsin was on it. But once again, you're listening to Fanatic Radio. Check out the podcast on iTunes, bflow360.com, blogtalkradio, slash Fanatic Radio. Also brought to you by 1-800-Flowers. Get double the blooms, same price, just $39.99 at 100 Offer ends at the end of the month on the 30th. But we'll see you at 4 o'clock at the same time next week. I want to give a shout-out to the BTR uh, staff, the uh, <laughs> tech support for digging us out of a bit of a hole. <laughs> also, uh, I want to give a shout-out to Landon Donovan, who's playing in his final Team USA national team game uh, October 10th to 14th. Of course, that's coming up. You can get your tickets for the uh, at Rensselaer Field in, in uh, Connecticut, which I don't know why. Mm. But uh, for the Notorious Sports, I'm Mike Gardner, and we'll catch you later next week reminding everyone that we are not crazy. We're just fanatics. So long, everyone.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.